Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. This is Make It Kind. Mark Thompson. Ladies and gentlemen, we've got a public defender here with us this morning to talk about a new public defender. Well, maybe not so new, but one that is gaining more traction, one that we all ought to uh, support and undergird because this is very important as much as we talk about black lives matter and police violence there are those who enter the court system uh, and while they may not be victims of police violence and death so to speak they still are victimized by the criminal justice system and law enforcement my guest is a nationally renowned criminal justice innovator who is the founder and president of Gideon's Promise, which is a nonprofit public defender organization whose mission is to transform the criminal justice system by building a movement of public defenders who provide equal justice for marginalized communities. And he's the author of the book, which of the same name, Gideon's Promise. Jonathan Rapping, we're happy to have today on Make It Plain. Jonathan, how are you, buddy? I'm doing great, Reverend Mark. Thank you so much for allowing me to join you. It's really an honor to be with you. Well, no, uh, thank you for allowing us into your schedule. This is a very important conversation. Um, Why don't we begin this way, just so everyone is clear. This is really about the the case itself and what that case provided, the Gideon uh, v. uh, Wainwright case, um, and whether or not what it was supposed to provide or was being, whether or not what it was supposed to provide is really happening in practice and being upheld. Can can we start by having you walk us through that? Yeah, a- absolutely. Absolutely. And first, let me say thank you just for, for even acknowledging up front that this is really a critical piece of a broader effort to secure racial justice, economic justice, uh, equal justice in America, because I think public defenders are critical to that fight and often 
ignored. I also have to say thank you, Reverend Mark, for pointing out the connection between the very brutal violence we are seeing happening to black and brown communities in the streets and the violence that is happening to people who survive police encounters in courtrooms every day when they are processed through the system, their humanity is ignored, they're thrown into cages, and we don't respect their right to have someone stand up and fight for them and amplify their voice. And so I appreciate that. But but going to your question about Gideon versus Wainwright, um, 1963, and I think it's important to acknowledge that was a time as you well know, in our nation's history, when we were grappling with civil rights abuses happening to to black communities um, in in every aspect of life, voting and and commerce and education. And certainly one of those areas was the criminal legal system. And I think of Gideon versus Wainwright as a case that has to be understood in the context of a broader movement to secure court victories and legislative victories, the Voting Rights Act, Brown versus Board of Education. It was the case that said we need to address civil rights abuses in the courts. And the vehicle to do that is to make sure everyone, no matter income, no matter race, has a lawyer, the kind of lawyer you and I would would want if someone we loved had their liberty on the line. And so it was a civil rights case. It birthed public defenders as civil rights lawyers. And now close to 60 years later, we have never lived up to that commitment. We've never funded public defense because we've never cared about the people public defenders serve. And this may be a little sensitive. Let me try to handle this as diplomatically as possible. There are those who might even critique the public defender service it's gotten a bad rap. I'm not sure what the source of that is. That may be by design, you know, that mm-hmm. some public defenders just don't care. And that's not, you know, that's the last thing in the world you want is to be represented by a public defender. Talk to us about that, that rap and that stereotype. Is it, is it accurate? Is it fair? Where does that really emanate from? Yeah, that's such an important point. So, so I, I want to start by saying um, I appreciate the acknowledgement as the founder of Gideon's Promise. I'm actually the co-founder. So I founded it in, uh, along with my wife, who is not a lawyer. Uh, my wife was an educator. She, um, her first experience with the criminal legal system was when she was five years old. She watched her father arrested for crimes he committed years earlier. And by the time he was arrested, he turned his life around. He was a small business owner, got married, had three children. She was the oldest, a fourth on the way, converted to Islam. Um, They grew up in a, a black community in Buffalo. He was arrested, charged with crimes he committed years earlier, and given a public defender that never told that story. And so without his story being told, he was processed through the system and sentenced to 10 years in Attica. So she grew up knowing her father from behind bars. And what she always said was, you know, what was even harder than knowing my father from behind bars was realizing the people I love don't matter. Most of the men in her family had been in the criminal legal system. And what struck me was the person who primarily delivered that message to a five-year-old girl was a public defender. He was the point of contact for the family. And I know many public defenders, and I suspect he came to this work for the right reasons. But he was overwhelmed, given far too many cases, under-resourced, and forced to process human beings. I don't think he even realized 
that not only did he do a disservice to the man standing next to him, but the message he sent that five-year-old girl, that family, that community. And so unfortunately, public defense, public defenders being overwhelmed are a symptom of a system that doesn't care. And they tend to be the face of that system for families who rightfully recognize this system doesn't care about us. That's what we have to change. We have to make sure that the most vulnerable among us have advocates who deliver a very different message. Well, and, and I'm glad you answered it that way, because again, it, it, public defenders are, are often marginalized and blamed, but you're right. Everybody who heard you has to know where well, that's true. Public defenders get an overwhelming and disproportionate number of cases. That alone, is there a solution to that? It is not the solution that we need more public defenders. Do we need more people to make the conscientious decision uh, in practicing the law that, hey, I'm going to go out here and, and try to make real the promise of Gideon? I, I think absolutely. I think, look, we, we, if we if we are truly going to care about the 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 democratic ideals we espouse, we have to make sure that before we take people's liberty, they have a lawyer who has not just the time and the training, but the heart set and the commitment to the people they serve. That either means we're going to have to invest in public defense or we're going to have to shrink this system. We're going to have to understand we can't criminalize everything that marginal that people on the margins do, that quite frankly, most of us who aren't on the margins have done those things in li life and some have become senators and congressmen and presidents. But if you're on the margins and you're over-policed, you're thrown into a system without an advocate and your life is thrown away. So, so yes, the short answer is, of course, we have to invest in public defenders if we care about the people the way we claim to. Yeah. And that's a good point. That that would 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 obviously balance it out and maybe even tip the scale uh, in favor when a decision would be made or if a decision were to be made to stop criminalizing every single thing under the sun. Uh, and we know that that happens disproportionately. And so folks, again, this is the connection between the police. You know, you, you go, I'm here in New York. Somebody who, who, how can you tell if somebody is selling one cigarette to somebody, all the stuff that's going on out here, folks, killing people, shooting people, robbing people. Let me go choke this guy who's got a cigarette or let me go kill somebody who allegedly has a counterfeit piece of money. I mean, that's, and, and see, and, 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 and Craig McFarland, Jonathan, see, here's the point. Either you're killed like an Eric Garner or a George Floyd, or you go into the system to an overburdened system to get an overburdened, overwhelmed public defender for something like this, taking up time and money for something as minuscule as that. And all of you pay for that. We all pay for that. And then when the person gets locked up for some time, you paying for somebody selling one cigarette and, and a counterfeit bill. What was it? Twenty dollars? Not not. A, there's no such thing as a million dollar counterfeit bill. Y'all, it's twenty. Twenty dollars. The most of us don't even realize we don't even miss twenty dollars. If twenty dollars falls out of our pocket nowadays, we wouldn't even miss it. But so it's 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 it's. Let's be clear, folks. As much as we march for the death and the martyrdom, we've got to be reoriented to be more conscientious about those who are not necessarily killed. But their lives are abbreviated because they still have to go through this foolishness and trauma being locked up, taken from the family. And what do you do? Then that's on your record. Can you get a job? I'm sorry. I'm talking too much. But <laughs> but but that's really the point, isn't it? 
You're right. You, you, <laughs> being in the system, right? Should you get out of it, it impacts your ability not only to get a job, to return to housing that might be subsidized, to get educational loans, to vote. And I got to tell you, I'm so glad you brought that up, Reverend Mark, because you know we are two days past the anniversary of the brutal killing of George Floyd. We all know about the killing of George Floyd because a courageous teenager took out her cell phone and videotaped it. But what we don't know is in 2004, George Floyd was arrested. arrested. He was a victim of a system when he was wrongly arrested by a police officer who has now been discredited. It's clear that they have falsified warrants. They're actually charged with murder right now. And there's a public defender that is moving to have that conviction overturned and George Floyd pardoned. But we don't know about that story because while we know about the highly visible violent encounters that are videotaped on the streets, the injustice you're talking about when people survive police encounters, it is invisible. It is normalized. It's routinized. CNN isn't watching. And 80% of the people thrown into the criminal legal system are too poor to afford a lawyer. They depend on public defenders. It's only public defenders that are in a position to interrupt that routine violence and to amplify the humanity of the people whose humanity is being discarded in those spaces. More MIP after this message. Folks, to be clear, what Jonathan is trying to get us to see is that we know about George Floyd and others. It's a blessing that people have cell phones and video. If not for that, we would know about George Floyd. There's no video of those again who are getting railroaded in an overburdened system as Jonathan just. There's no video of that. None. That, that people don't video that happening and folks going into that system because you can't really video that. But it it is that happens. There more of that happens to every day numerically than even those who were killed. And, and so that that's what <laughs> that's what's important. Now, if a public defender and I'm building up something here is is overburdened has well first of all let, let me let me ask you this um investment in the public defender service how do we do that better how do we improve that or increase that well well the first thing is we have to understand that that public defenders matter to, to all the things that we as conscious conscientious people care about public defenders are critical to address racial justice economic justice to, to reverse the trend of mass incarceration, to deal with police abuse. When we understand that public defenders are central to those fights, then we start lobbying and pushing for resources to go to really the people who are the lawyers for the communities we care about. I think right now, because as you said earlier in the show, we have come to see public defenders as part of the problem. Right? My wife hated public defenders when she grew up. She now runs an organization to support them. But, but she and her family hated public defenders. And because of that image of public defenders as part of the problem, public defenders aren't included in the menu of reforms. We overlook them. So I think your listeners, people who care about justice, have to demand public defenders, but not just any old public defenders, public defenders who come to this work because they're committed to racial and economic justice, that they are given the training and support that they need, that we provide through Gideon's Promise, and that they're equipped to resist those systemic pressures to process human beings. We need well-supported, a well-supported movement of public defenders to resist injustice every day. Talk to us about the training you provide. 
Yeah, but before I do that, can I tell you one quick story, Reverend Mark? There's, there's something you said when, 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 you, when you talked about the systems. I was thinking about how my wife and I took our two children uh, on, a, on a trip to Washington, D.C. a couple of years ago. At the time, my son was 10. My daughter was 14. My children are, are, are Black. My wife is Black. And so they're very thoughtful about race. They, they understand that they have to move through the world in a different way than, than, for example, me, their father, who's not Black. And we went to the National Museum of African-American History, which is you know an amazing place. It starts 400 years ago in the basement. You work your way up these ramps where you sort of go through this really heavy traumatic history. And we got to about the Jim Crow era. It was lunchtime and we were just mentally drained. And we decided we would come back the next day and finish. We had lunch. And my kids said, Daddy, I want to go to the court where you started your career because I began as a public defender in D.C. And we walk into a courtroom and it's a courtroom where they're doing what's called first appearance hearings, Reverend. It's where people show up the day after they're arrested. And I knew the judge sitting on the bench. I knew many of the defenders in that courtroom. I knew the courtroom staff. I didn't know the prosecutors because I'd been gone for a decade, but they were just like the prosecutors that were there when I was there. And the judge starts calling cases and a a young black man with his hands chained together and chained to a chain around his belt comes out. And, you know, in about a minute, they finish that case. They go on to the next one. And after about five or six cases, all the same, young black men chained together. My son, 10 years old, turns to me and says, Daddy, this is just like that museum. I tell the story in the book because it dawned on me that here is a 10-year-old child that realizes that what is happening in a courtroom in the nation's capital is more akin to slavery or Jim Crow than anything that resembles justice. And here are criminal justice professionals. Many of them I knew as really good, decent people, but they had been shaped by the system to accept that. They watch that happen every day to other people's children. And they've come to accept it. And it really is what the book is so much about, is that we can talk about these policy fixes. But if we don't understand that there is a culture, it's a culture that takes the best of us and shapes us into criminal justice professionals we never would have recognized at the beginning of our career. If we don't understand that changing that culture is has to be at the heart of transformational change, we are just going to, to, to be uh, putting our, our children into a generation where they're dealing with much of the same. I think you're absolutely right. And, and that's a good point, too. Um, how many people who are public defenders who are caught up in it are isolated? You know, it changes things when people know that they're part of a collective. Right. And can can combat it because if you were just one little person and you're trying to handle all these cases, and and here's something else. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong about this, Jonathan. That in a lot of these situations, the public defender is also besieged by the nature of the court, the jurisdiction they're in, and so a lot of times they see what odds are stacked, even if it comes to picking a jury, and they have no choice many times but to go to a defendant and say you know, maybe this needs to plead. And I mean, is, is that not true? Is that not another position that people find themselves in? Well, absolutely. I mean, the system is designed to process people efficiently. You know, less than, less than, than 5% of the cases thrown into the system 
result in trials. It is a system designed to coerce people into giving up their constitutional rights under the pain of doing intolerably long prison sentences. And so it is true that even the best public defenders have to sit down with the people they serve and sometimes say, you know what, I really think given your options and the evidence against you, pleading guilty makes the most sense. But everybody should have a lawyer that has the time to do the investigation, to do the research, that has the commitment to them and their families to actually advise them thoroughly and properly. And while individual lawyers are serving clients that way, we also need to be building public defender offices that are engines to change the way judges and prosecutors and legislators treat the communities that are impacted so we have long-term systemic change. And that's what the Gideon's Promise model is about. That's what the book is about. It is about how we are recruiting, training, and mentoring a new generation of defenders, not just to serve individuals in individual cases in court, although we do that well, but also to collectively be a force to resist and push back on a system that has normalized that injustice. Can public defenders offices, offices, Jonathan, afford or, or do they have the resources for full time investigators? It really, so it really depends. I mean, what you have to understand about public defense in America is it is very uneven. What Gideon versus Wainwright said is states, you have to supply low income people lawyers and some states have state systems. Some states have delegated that responsibility to counties. And so your, 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 your better resource systems tend to have investigators. The best of them have social workers and mitigation specialists. And then there are some systems that are so under-resourced that investigation is a luxury, right? I mean, it really is a sham of the way so many people are, are, are treated in the courts in America. And public defenders are doing the best they can with two hands tied behind their back frequently. Right. More MIP after this message. But see, now, folks, you understand what he just said there. If we look at the biggest problems we're having now, it's a result of there not being uniformity. Yes. Think about this. We can't have a national, so to speak, movement to reform police because all police are governed locally. Voter suppression and voting laws are implemented locally public defenders as well. If, if there was if there was one uniform standard, you could hold that accountable. But this is ultimately a state by state movement. And, 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 and Jonathan, I think that's what the challenge is nowadays. And I've been saying this, but that's what's hard. We're not going to send out a tweet that's going to invoke police reform simultaneously throughout the country. It's it's gotta be at that local level, and from what I'm hearing you saying, you saying, in terms of even trying to get more research resources for public defenders, that too is a movement that has to really happen at the local level as well. Well, I, I think certainly we have to be fighting this fight at the local level because right now that's where the levers of power are. But I also think we should all be outraged by the fact that. The Sixth Amendment right to counsel, the right to a public defender, is a federal, national, constitutional right. And the idea that we leave that, your ability to access that right to the, the, to, to the, the county that you live in, 
should outrage all of us. And so I do think that there is room for the federal government, for this administration, to actually say, we are going to use federal resources and federal leverage to force states and localities to live up to this national federal constitutional mandate. That wasn't going to happen under the last administration, but this administration at least is, is starting to look into ways in which the federal government can put a little more pressure on states and localities, and I'm hopeful. How can this administration apply that pressure and that leverage? So, so the, the federal government gives billions of dollars in grant money to states for all sorts of things. Much of it goes to criminal justice, to prosecution, to corrections, to policing. Right? That money could be conditioned on states living up to the Sixth Amendment right to counsel, right? That, that The federal government could say, we're going to give you this money, but you have to make sure you meet certain standards. You have to make sure you're recruiting lawyers at a certain level. You have to make sure that public defenders have resources. And so I think it's not just paying for public defenders, which would be more than I think the federal government could do. It is using its leverage to force states to either fund public defense or to start decriminalizing, which, and I think both of them have to go hand in hand, decriminalize things like marijuana and minor offenses that so often destroy lives. You mentioned the 5% lastly, uh, that don't even, it, it, only 5% going to trial. In terms of the 95%, you know, there are those who would say about me and, and even about your sons at different points that we're all just inherently criminal. We're all guilty. We're all in prison. That's all we do is commit crime. But the fact of the matter is, in a country where you, you are supposed to be tried and judged by a jury of your peers, is it not true that because of the coercion factor you mentioned in the system, that many people are locked up, whether they're guilty or not? I mean, it's not as if there has been <laughs> a, a, a trial and in many cases an investigation determined guilt. It's more of a plea. And then many of those people, just because they plead guilty, is just something they have to do. But that is not an indication that every person who's played out, who's sitting in jail, actually is guilty of a crime, right? I would say, so, so you got to understand, we have 2.2 million people in cages on any given day. Almost a half a million of them are sitting in jails pre-trial. Most of them presumed innocent held only because they were given a bond they can't afford. If I was given a $1,000 bond, I'd be home with my children tonight. There are many people sitting in jail who can't pay a $1,000 bond, so they're sitting in jail, and now the prosecutor can come to them and say, listen, if you can't afford $1,000, I'll let you out if you just plead guilty. Now, all of a sudden, you want to go home. So you plead guilty, which you don't realize is now that you've pled guilty, maybe you're on probation. And the conditions are so onerous that it's almost inevitable that you're going to trip up and be back in prison, or you're not able to vote, or you're evicted from your home because you now have a criminal record. And so people are coerced every day into pleading guilty to things, and undoubtedly, many of them are innocent. We'll never know the numbers. But, but I also have to say this, uh, Reverend Mark, when we talk about wrongful convictions, I would urge us to not think of wrongful convictions only as people who are completely innocent. I think wrongful convictions include 
people who are locked up and their lives are destroyed for things that more privileged people aren't punished for. When you see wrongful convic convictions as people who make mistakes, being punished in ways that are completely inconsistent with justice, those are wrongful convictions too. I would say the vast majority of people in our system are wrongfully convicted when you understand it that way. When they're sentenced to, to prisons and cages that are COVID infested, that are death traps, that's wrongful. And we have to understand that. Very well said, sir. Gideon's Promise is the book. Gideon's Promise is the movement. Uh, how can people uh, get involved? Yes, well, well, what they should do is, first of all, look us up. Go to our, our website, gideonspromise.org. You can follow us on social media. Um, they, they can contact us. We have volunteer opportunities. Um, also, they should reach out to their local public defender offices and see what's happening in their community. There are many public defender offices. We partner with over 40 across the country who are consciously working with community organizations in partnership to try to ensure justice is done in those communities. So contact your public defender office, contact Gideon's Promise. And when people are talking about injustice and how we correct it, mention public defenders and think about how those advocates who speak for 80% of the people in the system who've been silenced are critical. Folks, this is very important. Please get involved. Uh, the website once again? www.gideonspromise.org. Gideonspromise.org. Folks, check out the book as well. Uh, we can change things. We can make a difference. Um, not just uh, submit to it, uh, not just uh, resign ourselves to it. And and those who would represent us, who would be good counsel, we need to support them uh, as well in the work that they do. And that's what Jonathan is doing. That's what Jonathan's getting off the ground. And this is so, so important. Jonathan Rapping, the author of Gideon's, Gideon's Promise and the co-founder uh, of Gideon'sPromise.org. Please, man, please, sir, check it out. Jonathan, thank you for joining us on Make It Plain, buddy. Reverend, I'm grateful to you. It's been wonderful being with you. Thanks for getting woke and listening to Make It Plain. Please remember to listen, like, and wherever you get your podcasts, please give the show a five-star rating. And please do spread the word. Let's all continue to pray for each other during this pandemic and this police-demic. If all hearts and minds are clear, it has been made plain. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park.
You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.